What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Guest Friday on Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our social pages on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates. Great to be back with you folks on Friday. Uh, let you folks know that this would be a mailbag uh, guest Friday today. So I'm uh, going to be answering questions from the uh, listeners. Uh, if you want to listen to Monday's episode, you still can, as that's on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, before we get going, I want to say thanks to um, everyone that uh, gave me questions. Got a lot of good ones today. I got, got a question uh, right before I pressed record. Uh, this morning. So I think we're going to actually start with that one and then we'll fill in uh, some of the other questions. Um, so yeah, I think we're going to get into it. Uh, obviously, questions are any type of Boston sports questions uh, that people have. So got a number of them over the last couple of days, including just now. So uh, Ryan McNeil is a uh, listener of the program. So his question um was related to DeAndre Hopkins. Um, so his question is, with reports of the Patriots hope hosting DeAndre Hopkins, do you think he would want to join New England when he could go to Buffalo or Kansas City and have better QBs and realistically better odds at a Super Bowl? So uh, first of all, great question, Ryan. I think that um, the, the thing I think that's interesting is I think that, yes, in theory, you know, if that's the top of his, you know, if, if, if that's at the top of things that are important to him, is winning, you know, then yes. Realistically, you would want to go to a team like that. But I think where it makes it complicated is both of those teams, Buffalo and Kansas City, do not have a lot of money to spend. Um, and I think the reason why he visiting... The reason why he was visiting with Tennessee this week, visiting with the Patriots next week, um, I don't know if he's doing any other visits. I would assume Cleveland might be a team that he visits, that I think these teams have a decent amount of uh, cap space. Um, and so they could, you know, sign him to a deal that, you know, gives him a decent amount of money. Now, for the Patriots specifically, they still have their top three draft picks to sign. Um, so, you know, I think that for Ryan's question specifically, I think that for Hopkins, it's less about, you know, winning a Super Bowl and it's more about, um, maybe it's more about money, more about a, you know, stable, like ownership, I think is what he said. You know, I don't think that he's ever come out and said, or there's ever been reports of him, you know, being like, okay, I want to win. And that's the biggest thing for me. You know, I think that, you know, if he really wanted to join Buffalo or Kansas City, they would definitely make a, make, there would be a way to make that happen. But I think that it's kind of, you know, money is kind of the, could be the driving factor here. And I think by all accounts, he would be open to joining the Patriots. You know, I think that there's reports that, you know, he and Bill O'Brien's, their relationship is, you know, not really a concern, um, which I think 
puts to bed a lot of people's concerns that, you know, the, the way that they, you know, parted ways in Houston may not really have anything to do with him, you know, joining the team. You know, Belichick, I think, likes him. I think that he could be, you know, a good fit with this team. Um, but I think that the Patriots do have a realistic shot uh, to sign him. So, uh, Ryan, thanks for the question. Um, so my mom has a couple of uh, Celtics questions. Um, her first question is, uh, what will the Celtics starting five be next season? So this is a question that, uh, first of all, great question. You know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, you know, since the uh, season ended. Um, and that's, you know, specifically thinking about Al Horford um, and thinking about that he will be 37 when next season starts. And, you know, the way the Celtics kind of didn't play him on back-to-backs, you know, kind of tried to manage his minutes. And I think that that's something that you could see a lot more of next season. You know, I know that the Celtics do like the double big lineup, and I think that it works. But I think in my opinion, with Al getting up there in age, you want to start thinking of better ways to conserve his his energy. And I think that, yes, while he didn't play a lot of back-to-backs, he did play a lot of minutes this year. Um, I think if you look at specifically the amount of minutes that he played, 30 and a half, it's the most minutes he's played, you know, since 2018. So, you know, I think that I would like to see his minutes decrease, you know, not having to play as many. I think that that, if... I think me personally, I would like to see Robert Williams starting in the starting in the starting lineup every game. But it's like kind of the 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 issue with Rob and with Al is Al's getting up there in age. Rob has an injury history, and I think you know it's hard to rely on both of those guys to be your top two bigs. Um, but I think full health and you know considering everything. You know, I think Rob Williams is a guy that I would like to have start. Um, and Al can be kind of a bench body, you know, and not a demotion, like in a negative way. But it's just, you look at those minutes that Al's playing and it kind of affected the way that he played um, in the playoffs. And I think Al's skill set, what it is now, is, you know, more of kind of a defensive body and a guy that can pop out and shoot threes, and I think he is kind of limited in what he can do offensively, um, and I think that, you know, bringing him off the bench might be a smarter move, um, so I think, personally, I think that the Celtics are going to look at starting Rob Williams, you know, and starting the two Jays, and starting Derek White and Marcus Smart. That's kind of what I think the starting lineup's going to be, you know, definitely that could change. I think that, you know, if Grant Williams comes back, he could see some starts. You know, Gallinari, I think, could see some starts too, assuming that he comes back. So I think they need to continue to find ways to, you know, conserve Al's minutes. And so I think having him come off the bench is one way. 
you know, if he's a guy that starts games but maybe doesn't finish games, you know, is it a similar situation to a Kevin Love in Miami where he starts games, you know, but doesn't play as many minutes, you know, starts games and plays like 22 to 25 minutes, you know, that's something that maybe they could think about. But I think for the Celtics to be their best version, I think it looks like Horford coming off the bench and, you know, a lineup of smart white Jays and then Robert Williams. Um, so my mom's next question is, will they bring in any new major rotation players? You know, I think no, to be perfectly honest. Um, I think that what they're going to do is probably have a similar rotation. You know, I do think that there's a chance that Smart or Brogdon could get moved. Um, I don't, I think there's a chance, but I don't think that that's going to happen. And I think you're going to see relatively the same core group of guys, you know, the margin guys on the, on the ends on, or on the edges of the rotation might change a little bit because I don't think Pritchard comes back. You know, Griffin and Mike Muscala kind of don't know if they come back. Um, you know, I think it's going to be kind of the rotation that we saw in the playoffs. You probably see more of Sam Hauser, um, I would hope. Um, and then after that, it's kind of whatever else you can find in free agency or in trades or in the draft or what have you. Um, so I don't think they're bringing in any new, you know, rotation guys. We'll talk more about the Celtics later because we have a number of questions on them later. But I think we're going to go person by person. Um, so our friend of the program, Derek Welch, has uh, a number of questions, has questions for uh, four of the local teams um, so I think we're going to start with his Patriot questions. Uh, so Derek's first question, do you think Christian Gonzalez will be a starting corner? Um, so I like it, Derek, right to the point. Um, I think he will be. Um, I think that you look at in OTAs, he's kind of been, you know, lining up as one of those starting guys. Now it's OTAs. It's kind of hard to know, but I think Drafting him in the first round, you know, being comfortable. Um, I think, yeah, being comfortable with, you know, the Joneses, you know, bringing back Jonathan, you know, having Jack and having Marcus um, and Gonzalez. And Gonzalez just is a versatile, very smooth, you know, finesse cornerback where it's like his physical traits are exactly what you would want. And I think it's going to be curious to see, you know, what he looks like in the first couple of weeks of the season. Does he take a little bit of time to get used to it? But I think that he will be starting out of the gate. I think that you could see him similar to Cole Strange, where he just is locked in as a starter from day one. Um, you know, as with any rookie, there are going to be bumps and bruises. Um, it is a pretty important position. Um, and so I think that, you know, are there ways that the Patriots can make sure that he's not out on an island all the time? You know, can they 
put him in a position to be successful. You know, I think that's going to be interesting to watch, but I do think that he ends up starting for this team, and I think he'll be out there week one, you know, matching up against, uh, you know, you know Devontae Smith or A.J. Brown. You know, we'll see. But I do think that he ends up starting. Um, Derek's next question, do you think it would benefit Mac Jones to have a true quarterback competition? You know, this is an interesting question. You know, I think me personally, I don't think that there is going to be a competition. Um, and I think based on the early reports out of OTAs, it's kind of Mac's job to lose. You know, he's done the most work with Bill O'Brien working with the offense. And so I think, you know, he has come in with, I think, motivation and the right attitude, you know, that he's going to be the guy running the offense, you know, not in a way that people might think that he's cocky, you know, thinking that his job is guaranteed. But I think based on everything you've heard, he seems to be coming in more focused and more driven and more, you know, willing to kind of be the guy that drives this team. Um, so I think, I think there could be benefits, you know, that it pushes Mac Jones, but I think already you're seeing with the new offensive coordinator, you know, the new offensive coaches, the way that Mac is really kind of attacking the off season. I don't think that there's going to be a quarterback competition. I don't think it's a negative if there's not a competition. You know, I don't think it's a situation where, you know, he thinks his job is safe and he doesn't have to work hard. You know, I don't necessarily think that's the truth. But, you know, I think with any player on this roster, they always know that there is going to be competition, you know. You are not guaranteed a spot based on your performance the year before. And so I think, yes, there might technically be a form of competition that, you know, Bill Belichick's not going to just come and give Mac Jones the QB1 position. Yes, he's going to have to, you know, work for it just like every other player. Um, but I think, I don't think that there's going to be a competition like, oh, there's going to be a legit concern about who's going to be the quarterback. You know, I kind of think it's more of a media-driven narrative in terms of who the quarterback's going to be. You know, I think it's kind of a thing to kind of get people's, you know, reactions going. Um, so Derek has a couple of Red Sox questions here. Um, so his first question, do you think the Red Sox will be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Well, that's a pretty loaded question because it's not very clear what this team is at the moment. You know, being a 500 team, well, below 500 team, 31 and 32, where we stand right now. So I think at first glance, you'd probably think sellers. But at the same time, you know, what do they really have to sell? You know, being a team that's, you know, in last place, they're a game under 500. You know, they're not horribly out of the wild card chase. You know, they're five games back. So I think just by looking at like, oh, they're a last place team, you would think that they'd be sellers. But it's like at the same time, you look at the roster, I'm not really sure who they would be selling. 
because Devers is signed long-term. Now you still have Story here. Who's going to return? You know, you could trade Sale, but it's like you don't really have any pitching depth, so it's like I don't, I don't know what would be the point of that. I also don't know what team would want to bring him on. Um, I don't really know if you have you know, great assets necessarily. So I don't think they're in a position to be sellers. I think they could be buyers if they kind of get into get into the wild card chase, get within a couple games, you know, start playing better baseball. You know, so I think it's a little too early to tell in terms of whether they'll be buyers or sellers. I don't think they're going to be sellers in kind of the typical sense. You know, they could be a team that trades some guys and tries to they trade some guys, but then try to hang on to other guys, kind of like they did last year. I could, you know, see something like that happening. Um, but I think at the moment, it's a little too early to tell. Um, and so Derek's next question, any needs you feel they can address through the deadline? So, you know, I think infield defense is something that they can address, but I don't think they're addressing through a trade necessarily. I think it's kind of more waiting for guys like Yu Chang and Trevor Story uh, to get back to health. Um, I think that the needs starting pitching would kind of be what I would look at. You know, Corey Kluber has been very poor for them this season. You know, it's kind of been a waste of a free agent signing. You know, Sale is hurt. And I think the pitching staff, I think for the most part, recently has done a decent job, but I think they need a little bit more. Um, and so I think if they do become buyers at the trade deadline, they should look at starting pitching, you know, maybe a bullpen arm. But I think in terms of like players on the field, you know, Duvall's coming back, I think could be activated as soon as this weekend. You know, Chang, I think will return next week. Story will probably return in the next month or so. So I think in terms of on the field, you know, could they make a move in the outfield? You know, maybe kind of obviously like what I've seen from Yoshida. You know, Duvall was hitting really well when he got hurt. So, you know, could Verdugo be moved? Could they move Duran? I suppose that that's possible. But I think for me, starting pitching would be kind of where I would look um, in terms of needs. So Derek then has a couple of Celtics questions. Um, in addition to Sam Cassell, any names come to mind to fill up the coaching staff? Um, so this is an interesting question because I think the Celtics are going to be considerably adding to the coaching staff um, this offseason, you know, clearly with the lack of assistant coaches that they have. Um, so I think... There could be some maybe former Celtics assistants that could come back. You know, Jerome Allen is a name I think of. He was with the Pistons last year. Jay Laranega was with the Clippers last year. I think, you know, they could be candidates to return. Uh, Charles Lee, the Celtics have been looking at. Uh, the Bucks, the current Bucks assistant. Um, so that's a possibility. Um, you know, I think I'm not as... 
you know, well, well versed with assistant coaches around the league, you know, other than former Celtics guys or guys that have been mentioned, you know, I think that could possibly be a need for maybe another former player, but I don't really know, you know, who would be uh, available, but I think they're on to a good start uh, with Sam Cassell. Um, Derek's next question, any smaller moves outside of a Jalen Brown deal that you would like to see? So I think, you know, going back to the question about the starting five, you know, with the Celtics having to rely on Grant Will or uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford for a lot of their big minutes, you know, I think that they could use a, you know, veteran big, someone that can, you know, take pressure off of both of those guys, uh, just because I think Blake Griffin and Muscala might not return. And so I think looking at some front court depth would make a lot of sense. You know, I think that uh, Jakob Poyle, who was with the, or with the Raptors, the Celtics were rumored to be interested in at the trade deadline. I don't think that money-wise that's a possibility. Um, you know, I'm kind of, in terms of, you know, the money that they can spend, I'm kind of not sure what they can do other than, you know, veteran minimum type deals. Um, so I think, you know, kind of hard to know about certain guys that could be available, you know, possibly Andre Drummond, you know, that's a name that I could think of because he's, you know, obviously a good rebounder, but I think, you know, Jock Landale could be interesting with Phoenix, but I do think he probably returns to Phoenix as he's a restricted free agent. Um, you know, could they use someone like Cody Zeller for Miami, or from Miami, possibly, you know, I think that it's not going to be anyone that's going to be getting, like, major minutes, um, but I think front court depth is the one area that I think they're a little bit thin on, and I'd like to see them, you know, upgrade that a little bit. I mean, it's going to be hard to, just with the money, and I think that, you know, they can improve the front court depth by bringing Grant Williams back, you know, that would certainly help. So I think that personally, I'd like to see Grant Williams return. I don't think that he's going to get paid as much as we think, you know, I think that he could return on getting paid 12 to 15 million a year, which really isn't bad. Um, but I think some front court depth, you know, maybe a wing player, that's kind of a three and D, you know, I think that they could use that. And then I think if Peyton Pritchard gets traded, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, guard, guard depth. So I think got a couple of uh, Bruins questions from Derek. Uh, I'll answer this, this first one, because I think this will be a little more complex answer. Uh, do you feel any better about losing to the Panthers? After, made, after they made the cup? Uh, well, the quick answer is no. You know, I think I've mentioned that a couple times on the program over the last couple of weeks. Um, no, I don't feel better. Um, that was a team that you should have beaten. You know, you had multiple chances. You blew a 3-1 lead. You know, you lost two overtime games. 
You lost leads, multiple leads in game six. You should have beaten that team. You lost a lead in game seven. Like, you should have beaten them. So, no, I don't feel better. You know, it would be different if, you know, you played a back-and-forth series and Florida played great and you played great. You just happened to lose. That's not really what happened. You know, you were up 3-1. to one. You blew a series lead. You kind of did it to yourself. Um, so it's like, yeah, I mean, I could see the argument that, yeah, you know, losing to a team that went to the cup, but it's like, you should have beaten them. And there's a good chance you'd be in the cup right now if you had. So, no, it doesn't make me feel better. Um, his Derek's next question, I kind of had to laugh because uh, I couldn't tell if this was serious. Uh, but he, he asks if Bruce Cassidy wins the cup. Should the Bruins throw a Ray Bork-style parade? Uh, no, no, I don't think so, Derek. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, no, I don't think so, because I think the Bruins have won a Stanley Cup. I think to that point, they hadn't won a Stanley Cup since the 70s. So when Ray Bork won, it was like, oh, you know, the Bruins fans got to celebrate one, you know, and with a franchise legend, like, no disrespect to Bruce Cassidy, but he's not a franchise legend. He didn't win a Stanley Cup here, you know. He wasn't a coach for, you know, like a decade-long period of time. You know, I think that would be different, you know, if he was the head coach for like 12 to 15 years, you know, won a Cup or two in Boston. Maybe that would be different, but it's like, no, I don't think that they're going to be thrown at parade. I don't think that the uh, front office would be uh, willing, would not be wanting to do something like that uh, to celebrate a coach that they fired. So I think that that's, yeah, that's all of uh, Derek's questions. Uh, ben Baptiste has a couple questions, had a Celtics question and then two Patriot questions. So his Celtics question, how does the Sam Cassell, uh, how does Sam Cassell impact the coaching room and the current roster's inability to close on a championship. So, a great question, Ben. I think that it impacts the coaching room because it gives Joe Missoula, an experienced assistant, someone that's been an assistant for a long time, you know, and I think that understands kind of how things work. Not that Joe doesn't, but I think, you know, just that pure experience of being an assistant for. He was an assistant starting in 2009, so over a decade. So, you know, I think it just gives Joe someone that can take something off his plate or take things off his plate, have that experience, you know, that Joe can kind of work with a former NBA player because Joe, as much as he has a lot of experience playing basketball, he doesn't have the experience of playing in the NBA. So, you know, I think that that could help. Um, but I think it also, you know, getting into the second part of the question, you know, I think Sam being there can help the players because he's a former player, obviously, but he's won multiple championships. He's been, he's a guy that's been around, you know, knows how to motivate guys and knows how to, you know, get the most out of guys. So I think his work with the players is going to be really, really important. And I think just being someone that's won championships, uh, that's won a championship in Boston, 
um, you know, kind of knows the expectation and someone that I think if you watched him in his playing career was someone that kind of was a guy that played with an edge, um, played with an edge all the time. And I think that that is something the Celtics need and they need, especially in those, you know, late game situations um, and things like that. So I think that he helps giving the coaching staff some experience, but also giving the players an edge that I think that they really desperately need right now. So I think that it's going to be a good impact on both fronts. Um, Ben's next question, or next two questions were Patriot related. Um, so Ben's first question, which rookies will have the biggest impact on the Patriots upcoming season? So I think I already kind of talked at length about Christian Gonzalez. I think that he will make a good impact. Um, Keon White, the defensive lineman from Georgia Tech, was the Patriots' second-round pick. I think that he uh, will make an impact as well. I think that, you know, the Patriots are really looking for another, you know, pass rusher um, opposite, or not opposite, but like in addition to um, Uche and, uh, and Judon. They kind of need as many guys as they can get, so I think he could be someone that has an impact. Um, I think if you want to look at direct impact, and I think the special teams guys that they picked, uh, Chad Ryland, the kicker, Bryce Berenger, the punter, you know, I think that they will have an impact because they think that they're going to be the starters, you know, coming out of training camp, which actually going to get to that in a little bit with another question. Um, but I think they will make an impact. Uh, be interesting to see if it's positive or negative. Um, another guy that I'm interested in, or actually two guys, uh, Kayshawn Booty and Demario Douglas, the wide receivers the Patriots took in the sixth round. Um, I think that they have a possibility to make an impact um, on offense. You know, Booty, I think, is a guy that has a lot of potential, you know, slid in the draft for. Uh, a multitude of reasons. So he's a guy that I think you could expect from, expect things from. Um, and Demario Douglas, I think, as a slot receiver, could have a potential impact on this year's team. So I think possibility that those five guys or six guys could make an impact. And I also think, judging that the, judging by the way the Patriots were able to integrate as many rookies as they did last season. You know, you could see more of that this year. So I think I'm hoping that those guys can make um, the impacts um, that the team hopes that they can. So Ben's next question, do you think Bill O'Brien and Max connection will be noticeable by the beginning of the season or will Max still have a grace period learning curve under a new offensive coordinator. So great question, Ben. I think the connection is already noticeable uh, with OTAs. And I think that you're going to be able to see a more focused offensive group, a more kind of clear direction of what they're trying to do. Um, and I think that that's going to be, you know, something to watch for from now until week one, you know, how that is a difference from last season, how hopefully they're going to be more organized and more 
you know, in sync. Um, and so I think, yes, it will be noticeable by the beginning of the season that they're going to be a little bit more locked in and kind of have a clear direction of what's going to happen. You know, I think getting into the second part of the question, you know, will he have a grace period learning curve? I think that he will, um, but just in the sense that the way the Patriots treat the early part of the season, you know, that they're not always, you know, a well-oiled machine in the first couple of weeks. Um, so I think that, yes, there will be a little bit of a curve, but I think already if you've seen that, you know, Mac and Bill are working hand-in-hand hand and working pretty, yeah, are working together pretty pretty clearly, um, that I think hopefully there's not going to be much of a learning curve, you know, if they're already kind of building on this to this point in the early part of the offseason. So, yeah, I certainly think that the connection will be noticeable. There could be a little bit of a grace period, but I don't think it's going to be necessarily specific to Mac. You know, it's probably going to be specific to, or not, it's not going to be specific to any players, that it's kind of just going to be the whole roster. So, good question, Ben. I got a couple of Patriot questions from my good friend, um, Alex Mobosley. His first question, which uh, had me doing... Uh, a roster projection to his question. Uh, who do you think makes the roster uh, for the Patriots this season? So it's a good question. Uh, a little bit early in terms of a roster projection, but um, I did take a stab at it. So this is going to take a little bit of time, but yeah, we'll go through uh, what I think the roster is going to look like uh, today, June 9th, what it will look like um, in three months. I'll probably be doing this a couple times. Uh, throughout the offseason, but this is what I came up with. So for quarterbacks, Jones and Zappi, um, Trace McSorley, um, I think that you're going to carry, I think they're going to carry three quarterbacks um, on this year's team. You know, this is just a projection. This is not what is going to happen. You know, it's kind of just what my opinion is. Um, I do think that Malik Cunningham does get carried onto the practice squad. Um, but I think that those are going to be your three quarterbacks to start the season. Running backs, I have Ramondre Stevenson, James Robinson, Ty Montgomery, and Pierre Strong Jr. For me, I don't think I have any surprises here. Um, I think that Pierre Strong, the Patriots have some uh, plans for. So I think if he stays on, I think Robinson's going to kind of be that running back number two, and then Montgomery's kind of going to be your James White type where he's just going to be the pass catcher. Um, and that's kind of what he's going to be, kind of a third down guy. I think the wide receiver position, this is kind of where I think it could change. Um, but I do have a pretty bold prediction here that I think that uh, Kendrick Bourne does not make the roster. Um, I think that the Patriots will have the top three of Smith-Schuster, Parker, and Thornton. But I think Kayshawn Booty and Demario Douglas make the roster. This could change, of course, if the Patriots bring in DeAndre Hopkins. But I think that that's going to be the group of five. I think the Patriots go into the regular season with five receivers. In terms of tight ends, Hunter Henry, Mike Gesicki, Anthony Ferkser. Um, I think that's what you're looking at for tight ends. 
I think for offensive line, I think you're going to have a starting five, if you will, of David Andrews at center, uh, Trent Brown and Riley Reef, left tackle and right tackle, and then Strange and Owenu at left guard and right guard. But then I think the other linemen that they carry onto the roster, Calvin Anderson, Connor McDermott, James Ference, and Antonio Mafi, who I think has already had a pretty good start to OTAs, so I think that he makes the roster. For the defensive line, uh, I've got Lawrence Guy, Devon Godshaw, Dietrich Wise Jr., Christian Barmore, Keon White, Daniel E. Quale, and Demarcus Mitchell. Uh, Mitchell's kind of a defense or a special teams guy, but I think that those are the six defensive linemen they carry. I think, take a look at, oh, sorry, reading something else. <laughs> Linebacker got Judon Bentley, Jelani Tavai, uh, Uche, uh, Anthony Jennings, uh, Mac Wilson Sr., and Chris Board. Uh, the latter two, more of, I think, special teams guys, but I think that those previous five will be the guys that you see a lot of um, in the regular season at the linebacker position. And then a cornerback got Gonzalez, the three Joneses and Miles Bryant. I think that, yes, you know, he's got gotten a lot of hate over the last couple of years, but I think that he can be useful um, in certain situations. So I think it helps to have him on the roster. Also can be a potential returner, you know, if you need it, if there's a guy that goes down with an injury. But I do think Marcus Jones is probably going to be the primary returner for both kickoffs and punts. Um, at safety, you got Kyle Duggar, uh, Julie, <laughs> almost said Julius Peppers, uh, Jabril Peppers, uh, Adrian Phillips, Jalen Mills will be back at safety this season, and Josh Bledsoe, I think that he makes the roster. Um, and then on special teams, Ryland and Berenger, Joe Cardona, Matt Slater, and Brendan Schooler. Um, obviously, some of these guys, possibility that they don't make the roster, I think there's a possibility you know, Cardona possibly gets cut, but I would be surprised. Um, but I think that that's, yeah, I think that's my 53-man roster. Now I got a lot of guys on the practice squad, including some draft picks. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, what those decisions look like. So great question. Alex took a stab at that. <laughs> so his next question is, which Patriots will break out this season? So more of a general question. Um so I think um, it's a tough question because I think that there are a lot of guys that have potential uh, to break out. You know, I think one of those rookie receivers is going to break out, you know, and I think one of them will have a strong training camp, you know, hence the possible, you know, cut of Kendrick Bourne. I know that that's kind of a, might be a crazy thing to say, but I do think that there are always surprise cuts. Um, but I do think that one of those receivers, or both of those receivers, could have really good camps. Um, in terms of breaking out in the regular season, Kayshawn Booty, I think, is a guy I'm pretty pretty bullish on. So I think you know, he's a guy I would have to break out. Uh, James Robinson is another name that I think was a very kind of low-key free agent signing. 
um, but has a guy that but that's a guy that has tremendous ability um, and I think that the Patriots are going to find that he is still a really good player even after um, the, I think it was Achilles injury a couple of years ago um, that I think he'll be someone that can take pressure off of Ramondre Stevenson so I think he's going to have a breakout year I think that in terms of um, trying to think of someone on the defensive line, you know, Barmore, I think, has a good season. Breakout, I don't know if that's, you know, I don't know, because I feel like he kind of broke through a couple of years ago. Didn't really play a lot last year, was hurt. But, yeah, I'll say he's someone that I think could break out. Uh, Keon White, as I mentioned, I think could have a big season. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you're going to see a good season out of Christian Gonzalez. And I think uh, Marcus Jones and Jack Jones are going to be really solid as well. Um, I think Jack Jones is going to be a little bit more refined as a corner this season. But I think he's going to have a good breakout year. And I think Mac Jones is going to have a good year too. I think he's someone that could have a serious breakout season you know, with the new offense, with some of the new offensive players. Um, I think he's going to get back to being that player that we saw in his rookie season. I think the numbers are going to be better than rookie than his rookie season. I think he'll do a better job of keeping, do a better job of not giving the ball away, you know, with turnovers. Um, so, yeah, those are just a couple guys. Um, so we'll get to a couple last questions. Uh, my dad had a question. Is how does Gallinari fit into the Celtics' plans next season? So, of course, Gallinari was the free agent addition, or one of the additions the Celtics had last offseason. Um, and I think that a lot of us were really excited to see what he could do. Um, but obviously, Torres ACL in August did not play in a game this season. So, you know, I think he's a, a person that I think could be in line to start some games. Um, you know, he made 18 starts in his last season in Atlanta, played 66 games. I certainly think that he's someone that could start every once in a while, kind of take the pressure off um, of Al Horford. So I think that, yes, or I think that he will fit into the plans, uh, you know, pretty strongly because I think he's just another shooter, um, you know, someone that I think could work really well off of Brown and Tatum. Uh, someone that can rebound a little bit. He's not really known as a rebounder, you know, for his career averages five rebounds. But I think it's just going to be someone that can take take some of the take some of the responsibilities off of Al's plate, you know, and be someone that can be that good shooter. You know, shoots thirty eight percent for his career, so. I think he's someone that could play really well off of Brown and Tatum. So I do think that he will be a regular player off the bench. And so I think, you know, talked about kind of that rotation, that I think he will definitely be part of that rotation. Um, and I do think that he fits into the plans. I don't think the Celtics trade him. You know, I'd be very surprised. You know, it is possible, but I think that, they would like for him to stick around um, and see what he can do on the floor. So my older brother, Tyler, another friend of the program, um, had a couple of questions. So his 
uh, Celtics question was centered around Chris Paul. So he was wondering, do you think the Celtics should sign him? So obviously uh, the Suns have waived him. Kind of not clear about what the exact details are, but if he becomes available, you know, I think it's an intriguing option for the Celtics uh, because I think his skill set does work with what they're trying to do is a guy that is always a high assist guy, is pretty efficient shooting the ball. You know, I think that could he be an upgrade over uh, Marcus Smart, you know, may not take as many silly shots, may not take as many silly fouls, um, you know, probably a better shooter, a better, you know, assist guy in terms of averages. But I thought, you know, Marcus did a pretty good job this season taking fewer shots, having more assists, having fewer turnovers. So I go back and forth on this because I think Chris Paul's at a point in his career where he's trying to win a ring and would really do anything to do that. And I do think that he'd be a good fit with Brown and Tatum. I just, I don't know, there's something about him that I'm not really able to put my finger on that I don't know if he would be a great fit on this team. You know, just because he's still kind of looking for that championship. And I think, you know, yeah, it could be a good thing for the Celtics that, you know, he can kind of be a motivation, motivating factor. But he's been on a lot of teams that have come up short in the playoffs. And it's like, not that it's all his fault, but it's just he kind of has a reputation for not coming up big in big games. And it's like, you know, you kind of saw the Celtics do that in the playoffs over the last couple of years. And it's like, would he really be a good fit with this team if he kind of is starting to have a reputation of someone that can't get it done in big games? So, you know, I think that should they sign him? I don't think so. I think because kind of have faith in what they have going with this roster, you could make an argument that, okay, they need a change. But maybe it's not Chris Paul. Maybe it's someone else. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, we'll see. But I think in the, at the end of the day, he either returns to Phoenix or goes to another team, you know, goes to the Lakers. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so I think the Celtics would be an option for him. But I don't think that it's, a, it's not something that I would expect. Um, so Tyler had two other questions. One was about the uh, deal for Lionel Messi from Inter-Miami uh, in the MLS. So he will be coming over to the MLS um, at some point this summer. So I think my thoughts on it are, I think it's great for the MLS. I think it's another, you know, star player coming up from, coming over from, star player coming over from Europe that I think helps uh, build the league's image and kind of, gives the league some exposure, you know, will up probably the subscribers to, you know, MLS season pass. And I think we'll kind of give the league a little bit more, I don't want to say respectability, because that's not the right word, but I think, you know, it'll get more people interested and, you know, watching the sport, whether it's people that are fans, you know, of Miami sports, fans of soccer, you know, or, you know, fans of other teams that, you know, Let's say he comes to, you know, enter Miami, plays a game at NYCFC. You know, people hear that Messi's coming. Oh, you know, 
there'll be a lot of people probably wanting to come and, you know, watch him. I don't think that they return to New England again this season. Um, they actually do play the Revolution this weekend, but he will not be playing. But I think, yeah, literally anywhere he goes, um, it's going to be crazy. So I think it's going to be good. I think good exposure for the league. So uh, Tyler's last question, uh, what do you think the Bruins will do in the off season? So, well, thank you for a very loaded question. <laughs> so kind of, you know, something that I've been thinking about, obviously, a lot, you know, since the season ended about a month ago, um, I kind of toyed around with Cap Friendly. Uh, I know I've mentioned their website a couple times on this podcast. Um, they have a couple of tools that allow you to basically be the general manager. So I played around with it a little bit yesterday, and I think, you know, they're in a tough spot, obviously, because of the lack of salary cap space that they have. They have a little less than $5 million and have, you know, a lot of free agents. So I think for this team, I think first it's figuring out you know, whether Bergeron and Krejci will return. And I think that is completely up to the two of them. I think the Bruins don't really have any say in that situation. You know, it's really going to kind of be up to them. So I think, you know, independent of those decisions, I think that if the rumors are true that the Bruins do want to re-sign Tyler Bertuzzi and do want to give him a you know, long-term home, you're probably having to give him a good amount of money per season. You know, you're probably looking at giving him at least, you know, five years. You know, he's 28, pretty productive player, was pretty productive here in Boston. So I think if that's true, if the Bruins re-sign him, they're going to have to trade a bunch of guys. Um, and it's probably Linus Olmark, and it's probably Taylor Hall. And yes, it's both. 100% because they think, you know, just having to re-sign someone like Bertuzzi, you have to get rid of major parts. And I think, you know, talked about the Vegas Golden Knights and how far they've gotten in the playoffs with Aiden Hill. The Bruins could see that and realize, okay, we may not need a goalie making $5 million on the roster. Could we get away with playing Swayman and Brandon Bussey or some other kind of cheap veteran goalie. You know, I think clearly if they're going to keep Bertuzzi, Hall making $6 million and kind of be a, being a third liner, doesn't really make sense to keep him on the roster and you just might not be able to. So I think that he would go. I think that Mike Riley or Derek Forbert or probably both of them don't come back. You know, one of them maybe gets bought out. One of them maybe gets traded. Um, and kind of just see what you can do from there. I think that if Bertuzzi does not re-sign, I think that Hall probably comes back. You may still trade Olmark. You may still trade a defenseman. Um, but it's just, it is very, very hard to know what they're actually going to do. Um, but I think what they will do is probably address getting a, you know, if forward goes, probably addressing getting a, you know, 
stay-at-home defensive defenseman um, that can block shots and can kill penalties. Um, you know, I think you're probably not going to be bringing in a lot of, you know, outside free agent talent. You know, you're probably hoping that uh, Georgi Merkulov and Oscar Steen and Mark McLaughlin really make a jump and can be ready for full-time NHL work. Um, so I think you're hoping that that happens, you know, independent of, you know, the Bertuzzi thing or Bergeron and Krejci. Um, I think what is going to happen, in my personal opinion, Krejci retires, uh, Bergeron returns. I think that they end up signing Bertuzzi. Um, I think that his production in the playoffs is just going to be too much to ignore. So I think, you know, you keep your top line, Marchand, Bergeron, DeBrusque, Bertuzzi comes back, you trade Hall, you trade Olmark. Your second line is Bertuzzi, Zaka, and Pasternak. Your third line is a combination of, you know, Coyle at center, Merkulov, and Trent Frederick. I think Frederick comes back. And then I think on the fourth line, it's Nick Foligno. I think he returns. I think that the Bruins give him and Bergeron close to a league minimum contract, you know, like 800000 so that they can stay under the cap. And I think that you see Lauko get brought back. I think he's a restricted free agent, so I think he comes back. Um, and so I think your fourth line is Felino, McLaughlin, and Jacob Lauko with A.J. Greer and Oscar Steen kind of at the, on the roster as well. I think on defense, um, Riley or Forbert, both of them, I think, get moved. One gets traded, one gets bought out. And so I think you're looking at Grizzlick and McAvoy, Lindholm and Carlo being your top four. And then what you have left, you know, is Zaboral. Maybe you sign a Luke Shen or Ian Cole or someone that can eat minutes. You know, I don't think Connor Clifton returns, you know, unless his market is not as robust as people think. Um, so I think he kind of goes either way. And then I think you're hoping for another defenseman to kind of make a jump in the AHL. You know, is it low rise? Is it someone like that? Who knows? Um, but I think that your goaltending, you're looking at Swayman and Bussey or Swayman and a, you know, cheap veteran goalie. Not really sure who that would be, but that's what I think you're looking at, to be perfectly honest. And I think moving Hall and Olmark, you can get some draft pick capital back. May not be able to trade into the first or second round this season, but I think trying to get some future picks back uh, would make a lot of sense. So thinking about that particular roster that I put together, you know, who knows what kind of roster it is, but I think it's competitive enough that it gets you into the playoffs and then who the heck knows. So I think that, you know, great questions uh, from everyone. Really appreciate it. So I think that'll probably do it for me. We'll be back with you folks next week and everyone have a good weekend.